0: Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Hard foul Radio. Appreciate you for tuning in today. This is the show that values time. I value mine. You should value yours. So let's get started. So let's start with Monday Night Football. Eagles Commanders. Most people, especially Eagle fans, are gonna point uh, to that penalty on fourth down. And this is what most fans do. Fans are irrational. I don't have a problem with this. This is just what they do. We're just explaining it. They look at a game especially a football game, and they go, you know what? It was that one play. That one play is the reason why we lost. That's it. Forget the 60 minutes. Forget the fact Washington dominated time of possession, was the more physical team against an incredibly physical Eagles team. Forget the fact that Washington went into that game, they out-coached, out-played, out-hustled, like they did everything right. One play cost you the game. One play didn't cost you the game. If you're an Eagles fan or a fan of football, that one play did not cost the Eagles the game. But it is a reminder of why it's not just incredibly hard to go undefeated. And let's be clear here no one picked this Eagles team to go undefeated at the start of the season. So it's not like they're falling short of some expectation. No one picked them to go undefeated. They just got off to an incredible start. And that's why the conversation started. Pop your bottles, 1972 Dolphins. But this is why it's not only hard to go undefeated, you sometimes just have to get incredibly lucky. They put up the stat last night during the game, the Eagles have only had three turnovers through eight games, the fewest in NFL history. Yes, they don't beat themselves. Yes, they've been really good with turnovers. Yes, they're very careful. Three turnovers in eight games is a little bit of an abnormal. Do we think that Jalen Hurts is the most secure holder of the football ever? Because that's what he'd have to be if we assume he's only going to turn the ball over or his team is only going to turn the ball over three times per eight games. And the Eagles are still really good. Don't let the one play or the one game or the one loss take away from the fact of this is still probably gonna be the number one seed in the nfc they're gonna have as good a chance as anybody to make it to the super bowl the super bowl is gonna have to go through philadelphia because of what they've already done and established but going 16 and 0 17 and 0 some of it is luck some of it you need the fumbles to go your way you need a dropped interception here or there like those kind of things happen throughout a season And the reason why it's abnormal when a team has so few turnovers to start a season or throughout the course of a season and why it normally regresses back to a mean is because sometimes, you know, you take one step right instead of left. The ball comes out a little bit. Boom. Now that's a fumble. Like I said, dropped interceptions, dropped interceptions aren't a stat. You just see your turnover stat. So this is why. That one play didn't cost them the game because this kind of stuff will happen. You need penalties to go your way. Do Eagles fans really think that's the first call or the only – do they feel like they've never had a call go their way this year? Do they feel like, oh, you know, it's just been the refs against us or, oh, the world against us? I mean, maybe they're Eagles fans. Philadelphia fans are a different breed of sports fans. But it's not just hard to go 17-0. You need to be lucky to some degree to go 17 and 0. When the Patriots did it, they did it with an all-time offense and still had some breaks. They had breaks in the Colts game when they both met, and they were, I believe, they're both 7 and 0 at the time. They got a break, you could argue, in the Giants game. Plus, they had one of the all-time great equalizers, which is fuck it, Randy's down there somewhere. And Randy Moss had 23 touchdowns. And even them, that amazing 07 Patriots team, they get to the Super Bowl. Turnovers don't quite go their way. Eli Manning makes a a one-in-a-million play. Nobody looks at that Super Bowl or looks at those two teams, the 07 Giants and 07 Patriots. If you were to look at them, you play that same game 100 times, Patriots probably win 81, 82 of them. Hell, they might win 90 of them. But going undefeated... This is why this shit just doesn't happen. In plays like last night, you didn't lose it on one play. Even if you felt like that one play, you know, was the final clinch to that game. Washington was the more physical team. They outgained. Like, they were more prepared to play that game last night. And they brought it to Philadelphia more than Philadelphia brought it to them. And Philly was at home philly had three turnovers It only had three the the previous eight games of the season like there's a lot of reasons why philly didn't win that game so clap it up dolphins you're the last undefeated team you get to keep that. and like we said the eagles are gonna be fine they're gonna have the number one seed they still have maybe the best combination offensive defensive line in the nfl jalen hurts is still the top three mvp candidate this game is not going to take away from the totality of their season. No one thought they were going undefeated into the year, and no one's going to be disappointed they don't end the year undefeated outside of, you know, a couple fanatics in Philly. So, shout out to the Commanders. Had a great game plan yesterday. Came in, did what they needed to do. Eagles, first loss of the season. No more undefeated teams. Transitioning over to basketball. Basketball. transitioning over to basketball now i don't want to come in here two weeks into a season i don't care really what sport it is baseball football basketball hell there's 82 games he played and we could argue that there is still a handful of teams that don't care about the regular season so let's not as just a general media rule let's not come in here and go crazy over everything but sometimes it's fun so let's do this let's just Put maybe this message out in the air. Now, if you've listened to me, you know I'm big on... I thought the Warriors are not only what how impressive their run has been, I thought it was going to continue for a few more years, especially the way that I view Steph and Clay aging. Now, Clay is aging faster because he's hurt more. Um, I still think Steph will age into this off-ball guard... Um, Who will still get to be pretty dominant in that position for the next couple of years. But the Warriors are struggling right now. So let's put this Warriors run. If it is truly over. And like I said, two weeks into the season. I'm not calling it over. But we're having fun with it. This is how the all-time dynasties go. And I'm talking about legitimate multiple championship run dynasties. I am talking about the Cowboys, I'm talking about the 49ers in the 80s. No, actually, no, we're not. We're talking about the all-time greatest dynasties ever. I'm talking about the Belichick-Brady Patriots, the Spurs with Popovich, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, and, of course, Jordan and the Bulls, because that's how great this Warriors dynasty has been. And we could do the comparisons in terms of what each of those dynasties peaked at. Obviously, Jordan, the Bulls peaked at 72 wins and a title. Brady, the three and four years with Belichick um, early on. Or you could argue even, you could maybe say that 2010 run um, when they got the three. The Spurs, whatever title you want to say was their most dominant. I know a lot of people will give it when they beat Miami. That was a big one. the Warriors dynasty though if you want to say it peaked with Durant um and that if you want to say the Warriors peaked either with the you want to say the 73 win season and then the Warriors who peaked with obviously the Durant and Steph teams that looked unbeatable for two years but how do all of those dynasties end and that's the one thing that you could argue This Warriors team looks like it's going to end or this dynasty run is going to end because it's ending looks a lot like the other ones. How did the Spurs dynasty end? That one last push at the end. The last bit of Tim Duncan's greatness. The last part of Ginobili and Parker's career and a young rising Kawhi Leonard. That last title against Miami. Boom. Spurs haven't won since. Probably don't win in the foreseeable future. The Bulls, we've all se- we've all seen the documentary. We've all seen the Last Dance. Muster it up, everything you got. This one last run at it. Jordan, then you get that title. Then Jordan retires. I understand he comes back, but obviously was never Michael Jordan again. The same with Dennis Rodman, was never Rodman again scotty you could argue had a couple more years left in him but he was never what he was during that peak in chicago phil jackson obviously left that one last muster it all it for greatness get that last title patriots same thing that atlanta super bowl patriots supposed to be done even during the game we were all tweeting the memes about tom brady oh it's over down 28 to three and now the only person who's named about 28-3 to three is Matt Ryan. Patriots got it up that one last time, got their final title. Spurs, that last bit, got that final title. Bulls, that last bit, got that final title. And if you look at the Warriors from last year, that last bit of, and I think Steph still has a couple more years, which would make him the, I guess, Scottie Pippen in this case, or Tom Brady for going with the Patriots dynasty. Steph had that last great playoff run. Draymond, you could argue at the what was left of his peak or potential greatness. Clay during stretches gave you what was left, maybe of literally his career, depending on how these injuries end up unfolding. Then you had young guys coming in, and Andrew Wiggins who played a huge role, a Jordan Poole who played played a huge role, and all these dynasties have great coaches, Belichick, Popovich, Jackson, Kerr. So it is interesting. I don't want to go overboard or go crazy and say you know, oh the Warriors are done, they'll never win again, blah blah blah. It's over. I don't. I'm not going to say that. But if it were to be over. It ended like a lot of the other all-time great dynasties. The superstar enters. You see your foundation. You've got this great peak where you look invincible. And then that last push to get that final title, squeeze everything out. And now this is what you have left. Welcome, man. It is a wonderful Tuesday. Glad to have you guys all here. I think the weird thing, too, about the Warriors dynasty is, or really the, not even their dynasty, but the Warriors team this year is, we all assumed they were going to start transitioning and letting the young guys play. Like, we all kind of knew Clay wasn't going to be Klay f- much longer. He just, the kind of injuries he's had, it's a miracle he's still playing at any kind of competitive level. Draymond had clearly been showing signs of slowing down. A guy like um yeah, Draymond Clay. Um the 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 transition though was supposed to be smoother. And we thought a James Wiseman, a Kaminga, a Moody, like these guys were all supposed to start playing, and now it's like Not only are they not being productive, they're literally just not playing. I saw the tweet uh two days ago, and it was uh, they had Wiseman was on like a two straight DNP coach's decision. Uh, Kaminga had three straight DNPs coach's decision and Moody had had three straight, uh, DNP coach decision earlier in the year. So this transition that we all just kind of assumed they would do naturally, they haven't done it at all. Like, it's just that it, it's, it's weird to me and I'm not going to come on here and say that, you know, I know better than Steve Kerr or that, you know, they don't have some kind of plan or maybe it's just the reality of those guys aren't as good as we initially thought. They had these moments, but just consistently getting bigger minutes, bigger roles. The only guy they've really trusted to ascend to that spot is Jordan Poole. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying the wrong or vice versa. It's just, it's just weird. Like, can we all agree on that? It's just a weird topic that those guys that it's they're not even getting playing time it's weird can we all and we're gonna get into some team stuff here it is tuesday so we always got to do team tuesdays here on hardfowl radio um and then tomorrow we're gonna discuss power rankings i am debuting the hardfowl hill uh who is the king of the hill um and so forth. So that'll be our power rankings. I wanted to wait until Wednesday, kind of give myself a full 24 hours post every team having played. Um, Just that I'm not making what I feel might be like, obviously the Eagles are a team that you would consider to be at the high end of a power rankings or whatever, however you want to scale or compare NFL teams. The Eagles should be very high, regardless of the loss last night. Quick, quick tangent. And I just want to. I think this is so stupid what people do with records. People. And not just records. I think. Let me rephrase that. I think it's so stupid. How. Because sports are this multi-billion dollar thing. And sports shows and sports media are a multi-billion dollar thing. People have gotten real good about talking out of both sides of their mouth. You want to, one of the biggest things people talk both sides out of their mouths are records. We have the standings crowd that go, you're 8 0, your record is what it is, boom, you should be at the top. And then we got people that say, no, your record doesn't really mean it, it's my eye test. There should be some middle ground. Like, just being fair here, like, it's not politics. You don't have to be fully to the left or fully to the right. If a team is 8-0, give them their fucking credit for being 8-0. and The Eagles have had a hell of a season. And in retrospect, well, now with one loss, I guess, you got to say the Eagles, Vikings, have had the two best seasons in football. That's based just this. And I know, oh, it's not a standings. It's not, it's just, you know, you're not like, no, you literally are what your record is. And to a degree, you have to give those teams that have come out here and they've won eight of the nine games they've played, give them their respect. But you, but it's so easy for people just to come out and say, oh yeah, well, they're eight and one, but like, well, who have they played? And now we just start moving the goalpost. Oh, well, who have they played? Okay. Well, they have, they had a hard schedule. They had an easy schedule. If they had an easy schedule, oh, look, so they're eight and one doesn't count. if they had a hard schedule well how did they look in those games did they win pretty enough this isn't this isn't i'm not a college football fan and i'm not trying to shit on college football but this isn't the old school bcs this isn't even guys who make the decisions on the ap polls now it's not how pretty a win it's not winning by 30 40 points it's not how dominant are you college teams have to have that because college teams alabama georgia ohio state they have a rosters full of nfl guys and they get four or five times a year they get to play teams who don't have a roster full of nfl guys so they yes they get judged more harshly the same way if you're an adult and you were to play a game of basketball against a group of kids, we don't care if you score 100 points. No one's calling you Wilt Chamberlain. So you don't have to win. It's not a matter of winning pretty. It's not a matter of being dominant. It's give these teams the respect of what they've done and what they've shown on the field. I'm going to talk, talk about the Broncos here. And the Broncos have been a shit show. And I, even as bad as they've been, no, I don't think Denver is as bad as a 3-6 football team. But guess what? Denver's a 3-6 fucking football team. Offensively, they've been a huge shit show. But let's stop just like, it's, it's just, let's stop with the Twitter takes. <coughs> Bless me. Let's stop what the Twitter takes. The Twitter take is, I'm going to say one thing and it sound like it's logical because I'm only going to use one point of view and one side of the argument and I'm just going to be very convincing when I say it so you'll think, man, he knows what he's talking about. No, I don't. I'm just using one singular side. I'm, I watched this girl. She was talking about longer tangent than i wanted i was watching this girl and she posted a video on instagram and the video was talking about men don't want to get married as uh married that much anymore because women quote unquote women aren't wives anymore women aren't as pure meaning there's more premarital sex women don't do these things that quote unquote a guy would want in a wife and a lot of people watch that video and went you know what yeah, I know she's she, she's kind of out a point. Not as many women cook as they did maybe 30, 40 years ago or they're not as homemaker-esque as they were 30, 40 years ago. And like there's and you get these people that buy into that logic and go, "You know what? She's got a really good point. She's really smart. Yeah, why if I am a guy, why would I want to get married?" I don't even have to reality check to why it's wrong. I could say the same thing if I was a, if I if I wanted to come from the other side. Why would a woman want to get married now? What if a woman was the quote unquote perfect homemaker? What if a woman was, you know, this everything that a quote unquote wife was supposed to be? Are guys everything that guys were 40 years ago? Is every I know I'm not a super handyman, which most men were 30, 40 years ago. I know I don't make enough money where she could be a stay at home wife and not have to worry about bills, and I pay for everything. Something goes wrong, I make sure it gets done. I'm out there working 60, 70 hours a week. So, why would a woman want to get married? Guys aren't who they were 30, 40 years ago. That's a Twitter take. You come from one side, and all you do is beat the one side in, and some idiot thinks that's really clever. Anyway, done with my tangent. It's a Tuesday. It's Team Tuesday. Let's talk about the teams. <sighs> this is my sad sigh. <sighs> so we gotta talk. Let's 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 do. You know when people tell you good news, bad news, and I was always a person who's like, give me the bad news first, because I want to end on a good note, right? Let's do the bad news. The bad news is the Denver Broncos incorrect the bad news is only the Denver Broncos offense so the Broncos just hit this new statistical anomaly they are the best defense in the NFL 16.6 points per game and they're actually even better than that if you go into their advanced stats and uh, there's these guys who post these really fancy graphs on Twitter that I really don't understand outside of I can tell who's the best and who's the worst and defensively denver's the best and it's really not particularly close why is denver the best on defense well denver's the best on defense because when he's out there justin simmons is the top three safety in the national football league patrick Sertan is the best corner in football right now guys won't even fucking throw at him like he's that good as a second he is eight and really he's been like this four games into a second year Guys just stop throwing at him. It's like, yeah, no, he's just, he's, they're blanketed, covered. There's no Pat sertan highlight reel because guys just ignore him. It's like, all right, that's that. Quarterback looks, he goes, he's over there. Nope, done. Good, good, good. Good. You can say that. You can stay there. They have multiple pass rushers between, even with the amount of injuries they've had, Randy Gregory, Nick Benito, Baron Browning, they had Bradley Chubb to start the season. They've had good defensive line play in terms of you can't even really run on them. Derrick Henry only got 60 yards. Derrick Henry, who was coming off five straight 100-yard games. I started my fantasy. It was, it was just bad. Not only did I at least decided that, you know what, I had to start Denver's defense and Derrick Henry. And I'm like, at least if Henry doesn't go off, If Henry doesn't go off, I thought Denver would win. And if Henry did go off and Denver lost, they're like, well, at least I got fantasy points. Then I got screwed on both. Denver lost and Henry didn't go off. So I was just like, wonderful. So Denver's defense, amazing. Best, Best defense in football. Offensively, they're the worst in football. And it looks like the worst. Now, everything I'm about to say, remember, The national media doesn't really look into teams anymore. Guys make too much money and are asked to talk about too many different sports and too many different teams. And to be quite frank, and if you're a fan, you probably pick up on this, they just really don't know exactly what's going on unless the team itself is a national team. And they kind of get to pick who the national teams are a la the cowboys a la um the chiefs because of mahomes like there's a handful of teams like okay we're gonna really know these teams because they're gonna be on a lot of primetime games and they're gonna be really important they don't really know the ins and outs of the other ones denver is by far the most injured team in football by far look at the salary cap on ir look at the just the results they were playing in tennessee without justin simmons without three of their starting five offensive line, without three of their five backup offensive line, they were on left tackle three, center three, right tackle three. They were on their running back, Javante Williams has been out. Melvin Gordon lost his hands at the beginning of the season, so we can't hold the football to save his life. They brought in Latavius Murray. They were down. K.J. Hamler started the game, not there. Uh, Jerry Judy gets hurt on the first play of the game. it's it's rough man there's a lot of injuries there Russ has missed time like Denver's the most injured team in the league and it's not even close with that being said though still should be unacceptable still should be unacceptable if someone had told you this offseason and I was really hyped about this football season really hyped I bought into all the hype I bought all of it. If hype was a stock, I bought everything, and the stock turned into FTX. If you were to tell me, at the time of the trade, when Denver acquired Russell Wilson, they would not only, through nine weeks of the season, forget forget what you knew about the offense. Now, you don't know anything about the offense. And let's say that even guys got hurt. You knew there was going to be a lot of injuries. Denver was holding people to 16 points per game. 16. At the time of the rest of the season, you're like, first nine weeks? We don't know how the rest of the season is going to play out. And they just lost. They've got even more injuries now. Um, Kwan Williams is hurt. He's going to be out four weeks. And Judy got hurt, like I said, first play of the game. Thought it was going to be season ending. Now it might just be a week or two depending on its a high angle sprain. 16 points a game, nine weeks in the season. I would have dead-ass told you Denver would be 9-0. Or 8-0 with the bye. You know what they're not? They're not 8-0. They're not 8-1. and I saw a stat on Twitter. Uh, one of the Bronco beat writers put it out there. If Denver had scored exactly 18 points just 18 points which would move them up to the almighty position of 26th in the nfl in scoring they were just the 26th best offense they'd be eight and one eight and one Now the regulation matters because of the Colts game. And that's why, if for anybody asking about that. Can't get to 18 points consistently. Like I said, I know there's been injuries. I'm very well aware of the injuries. But Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, who's been there pretty much all year. Judy, who's been there for most of the year. Hamler's been there for most of the year. Yes, the Javante Williams injury, that was two weeks in, two and a half weeks in. That sucked. That's just one, you know, you just kind of got to chalk it up. It's football. Injuries happen. 16 points a game is what your defense is holding people to. And you nullify that on offense by essentially turning everybody else into the 1985 Bears because you can only get 14 points a game on offense. And let's look at another really awful statistic here for denver let's look at the the when you are truly truly defined and the only real comparisons that i think should be fair are a legitimate comparison of your peers so who are russell wilson's peers well it would be not that he has accomplished as much as the first person but nobody has or the second person i guess no, second. Yeah, second person. First person, sorry. We, we talked about all offseason. The last two guys to go who were Pro Bowl or better quarterbacks to go to a new team in their first season, they won Super Bowls. Tom Brady, Matt Stafford. Now, no one's going to call Russell Wilson Tom Brady, obviously. But Russell Wilson, I think, would be rated higher than Matthew Stafford at the time of their trades from their respective first franchise to their second. And instead, that's Stafford, who struggled, but got the Rams to the playoffs and won a Super Bowl. And Brady, who started off the season slow in his first season in Tampa, but got the Bucs to the playoffs and then the Super Bowl. They also weren't scoring 14 points a game. They also didn't have defenses that were this dominant. And I think I don't think Russ is this bad. But the other comparison of Piers, he might be this bad. And I've been very withholding on criticism of Nathaniel Hackett because I just think sometimes it's unfair and I do think that there is actually enough going on with this team that the idea that they, you know, them starting slow due to new quarterback New offensive coordinator, new head coach. Like, everything was new. So, I gave him a lot of passes in the beginning of the season. There's five first-time head coaches. Hackett is easily the worst. Matt Eberflum, and I think I'm mispronouncing his name, the Bears head coach, he started off slow. But even he has started to figure it out the last three or four weeks, and he figured out his personnel, and he realized, yeah, we're just going to turn this bitch over to Justin Fields and do what he does well. Justin Fields has been the most productive quarterback statistically the last four weeks in the NFL. I don't even want to compare him. Even open a conversation about Kevin O'Connell was an 8-1 Vikings team. Brian Dable... Who has a 7-2 Giants team. The comparison of your peers. You know who Hackett compares to right now? There's another first year head coach in the AFC West. It's not his first time being a head coach, but it's his first year with his new team. Hackett is closer to Josh McDaniels than he has any of the other first-year head coaches. That's a problem. Mind you, Josh McDaniels just lost to a a one-week-in head coach. Who, by the way, one week in, with a brand-new play caller, the Colts got to 25 points. Denver hasn't reached that total all year. Tough out here in Denver. Let's talk about a team that's not that bad. Let's actually talk about the Pelicans, who have the exact opposite problem. The Pelicans were, um, I think, they just got passed up, but they were the number one offensive team in the league uh, heading into two nights ago against the Rockets. I think they've now been passed up, but still a top three offensive team. The only thing I really want to say here with the Pelicans, because I like the way the team is project, the team is trending um Zion these last couple games is really understanding I'm regardless of height I'm 230 240 pounds no one can stop me off one dribble he's getting the line a lot more he's being a lot more aggressive bi can score really whenever he wants it's it's almost to some degree like a I don't want to say it's a bad habit of his but he's so like the game um Like, against the Rockets, he just kind of waits until the fourth quarter to start scoring. He doesn't really... Like, he gets his 20, 22 points, but he's not getting them consistently. He's kind of just picking his spots and deciding, okay, now's what I'm going to go score. I wish he was a little more aggressive in that regard, but still, it's working, especially because the Pelicans go to Jonas and Zion a lot in the first quarter, get the paint established, and then... CJ, who is, yes, he's having a shooting slump, but CJ's kind of been like the consistent throughout the game score. The bench has been fantastic. Larry Nance, Jose Alvarado, uh, Trey Murphy, a little more hot and cold, but still really good. Pelicans Twitter, can y'all chill? I just said CJ McCollum. He's, CJ McCollum's had a, a bad last four games or five games now. And CJ will tell you that. CJ did say that. He said, I don't think I could shoot any worse. But he's been sick. He's been playing through it. And his presence on offense as a veteran point guard ball handler has still been extremely impactful. I know we all love Jose Alvarado. I get it. I love Jose. I love the energy. He's shooting the ball better. He is a much better offensive player this year than he was last year. You could argue he's twice the offensive player he was last year this year. And he's still playing defense at an extremely high level. Still bringing his energy at an extremely high Like, he's doing great. I would argue Jose Alvarado is the best backup point guard in basketball right now. But that's what he is. He is the best backup point guard in basketball. When fans start to get their folk hero players, and it's specifically the guys, you know, who are the underdogs, they're not quite big enough, they're not quite fast enough, et cetera, et cetera. We elevate them to a spot they probably can't actually stay at. Jose has been great. His three-point shooting is better this year. His floater that he worked on the offseason is legitimately there. But he's still an undersized, scrappy point guard who gets the best, the best experience out of him By him coming off the bench. CJ is taller. CJ is a better natural shooter. I understand he's in a slump right now. CJ's a better scorer. CJ's not better defensively. But CJ can still be an adequate defender or a good team defender. Playing 30 plus minutes a night. Part of Jose's defensive value is he's coming in for about 18 to 20 minutes a night. And this is not Jose Alvarado slander. Love Jose. Hope Jose stays with the Pelicans for as long as possible. Because I do think it's without question, him and Larry Nance have been the best two guys off the bench, and I would argue because of his defense, Jose's been the best guy off the bench. I know there's a lot of talk right now about Russ become, being the sixth man of the year. Jose Alvarado's been a better sixth man or bench player than Russell Westbrook this season. Pelican sweater, just chill. That's all you got to do. Just chill. Jose is great. Now I was gonna save this for a what the fuck is this Wednesday, but it has to do with the Pelicans, so we're adding it to Team Tuesday. And I just want to know NBA Central. Normally a really good follow on Twitter. Highly recommend anyone to follow him. Um, this this though was this though was bad. This, this is seven hours ago at the time of recording. Report, there's palpable fear, fear, within the Lakers of Pelican's pick swap amid Victor Wenbayama sweepstakes. What the, what the fuck does that mean? Are they scared that the entire Pelicans organization hasn't gone brain dead? Do they hope they're just going to pull up to draft night? And if the Lakers do end up with the first overall pick, they're just going to look at him and go. Is is David Griffin supposed to go like, you know, I would take your guys pick. But I'm a real big Magic Johnson fan. So because of that, y'all can keep your pick. We're going to keep ours. We don't want the pick swap. What is palpable fear that they're going to use what you've already given away? Is there palpable fear that if I give somebody 20 bucks, they're going to spend the 20 bucks I gave them? This There's, there's a lot of really stupid reports coming out of la and i don't even want to talk about the lakers until they're worth their the record is literally not seven games under 500 let's start with that there's another one on would be central, and this is not pelicans related but this is just just the mind-blowing because i think this is genuinely how the lakers are being run right now and it's just like why lakers are waiting they don't want to make any moves Because they want to see what Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant provide before making any major moves. I too want to know what my third string point guard and my fourth rotational big will do for my NBA franchise before I make a major decision. By the way, my NBA franchise employs LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But I'm worried about my third string point guard, which is what Schroeder would be, and my fourth rotational big. But at least y'all got Anthony Davis, right? Y'all won the Anthony Davis trade? We'll take Victor, though. I ain't mad at it. With that being said, like I said, it is a shorter episode today. Um, I went on my tangent longer than I thought, so I had to scoop out a, a subject, trying to stay around that 40-minute mark uh, per episode. Uh, eventually, we'll start getting into the hour marks, um, but that's a little bit down the line. I'm trying really hard this week to work on the videos that are coming out for not only Hardfall Radio, but also Real Big 3 and AM. so stay tuned for that. This is Hardfall Radio. I appreciate you guys for joining me. I appreciate everybody that has this sick, sick obsession with sports the same way that I do. It's a sickness, but we're getting through it together. Love you guys, and I'll catch you tomorrow.